Chapter Twenty One of Saint Charles Borromeo: A Sketch of the Reforming Cardinal by Louise M. Stackpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twenty One: The Plague of Saint Charles. Milan was in fete. The decorations of the streets were on a scale of extraordinary magnificence. The walls and balconies were hung with rich satins and brocades. Wreaths of flowers and of plants hung over the gateways and ivy was twined round the columns and over the doors. The bells rang out a joyous peal. The people cheered, as the heralds announced in stentorian tones that His Royal Highness, Don John of Austria, conqueror of Lepanto and half-brother of the King of Spain, had arrived in their city. The Marquise de Aemonti, then governor, the nobility of the citizens, all vied in doing honour and paying homage to the man whom the king delighted to honour, the gay, gallant, handsome young prince, even while the triumphal procession wended its way through the strong streets, there was a distressed cry of Misericordia, Misericordia. At first scarcely audible, it gradually rose into a shriek. It was taken up by hundreds of voices. Misericordia, Misericordia. O oh God, have mercy on us, for the plague is in our city. Those gay and gallant cavaliers heard it, and their hot blood turned to ice in their veins. Their dauntless courage ebbed away before the terrible specter of this black and sudden death, and without a moment's hesitation they fled at headlong speed from the doomed city. Thus Milan was left without a governor, without a senate, in this her hour of direst need, of most unimaginable agony. But there was one who did not fly, nay, who hastened back, the instant he heard the fatal news, from Lodi, where he had been consoling and administering the last sacraments to his friend, Monsignor Scarampa, Bishop of Lodi. He went direct to the Duomo, and there he prayed long and fervently. Then he visited the infected quarters, and endeavored to encourage the people who knelt before him, begging him to bless and pray for them. They were in a state of abject terror. Disorder reigned supreme, and Charles was the one strong man in that great and populous city, the only one who was capable of stemming the panic. To him they all instinctively turned, and he was not found wanting. He immediately convoked a meeting at his palace of the few magistrates who had remained faithful to their trust, and with them adopted strenuous measures to prevent contagion, and to administer to those stricken by the horrible malady. Like an angel of charity, the austere aesthetic, now transformed into a tender father, a gentle nurse, a loving friend, went day and night through the streets and squares of the city, into the infected houses, carrying with him as his only protection against contagion a sponge dipped in vinegar but armed with the impenetrable shield of a boundless confidence in God and an overwhelming love of his flock. He went about barefooted, carrying the big wooden crucifix that is now in the Duomo, the object of enthusiastic and fervent veneration. Thus he walked through the plague-stricken city, consoling, encouraging, quelling tumults, settling disputes, helping by word and deed the maddened, panic-stricken people. The lazaretto outside the city walls was soon full, it was necessary that other accommodations should be found. Thatched cabins were erected at various places, and at a distance from the city. They were surrounded by large ditches filled with water, and only accessible through one gate. This was to guard against contagion, and prevent those infected with the malady from leaving. Every precaution was taken to prevent the spread of the fearsome thing, and at the same time no means were neglected to give aid to the souls and bodies of the plague-stricken. I could not better describe Charles during this appalling trial, when with such heroic courage he succored his afflicted people by every means in his power, than by quoting Manzoni's graphic description in the I Promessi Sposi, 
of the conduct of his cousin and successor under similar circumstances the beautiful and realistic narrative applies with equal truth and justice to borromei it runs as follows the cardinal as was to be expected gave encouragement and example to all having seen many perish around him and solicited by magistrates relatives friends and princes to withdraw from danger he absolutely refused writing at the same time to his clergy be ready to abandon this mortal life rather than the people committed to your care go forward among the plague-stricken as to life as to a reward even if there is only one soul to be won to christ he did not neglect necessary precautions and he gave instructions and regulations to his clergy to do likewise but at the same time he did not fear in fact was absolutely indifferent to danger when it was necessary to encounter it to do good without speaking of the ecclesiastics whom he was constantly inspiring commending their zeal arousing the lukewarm and inducing them to go to the post where others had perished he wished that those who desired to see him should always be able to do so without difficulty he visited the lazarettos to give consolation to the sick and encouragement to the attendants he traversed the city carrying relief to the poor creatures sequestered in their houses stopping at the doors and under the windows to listen to their lamentations and to offer words of hope and consolation in a word he threw himself into and lived in the midst of the pestilence and was astonished himself that he came out uninjured it is a strange fact that not only did the archbishop escape contagion but scarce any of the clergy and religious of both sexes who assisted him in his sublime task were stricken by the plague the capuchins the jesuits the virgins of st ursula ably seconded him and the secular clergy encouraged and fortified by his words and example generously devoted their lives to the service of god in the person of his suffering members but amongst all the noble and heroic souls who cooperated with charles those who most deserve our admiration and reverence were undoubtedly the physicians without any arriere pensee without hope of glory or distinction either in this world or the next these noble and devoted medical men went daily into the very jaws of death into the mouth of hell they had neither the supernatural courage of the confessor or martyr to inspire them nor the intrepid daring and desire of deathless fame that caused the soldier to seek the bubble reputation even at the cannon's mouth to encourage them they had nothing to help them but the approval of their consciences the knowledge of duty fulfilled they came from many countries from rome from france from the neighboring states these heroic healers of the body and they were willing to sacrifice their lives ungrudgingly in the cause of humanity without hope of favor or reward notwithstanding the precautions adopted and notwithstanding the supplications of the saintly ascetic who at that moment was the virtual governor of milan although he caused prayers to be unceasingly offered up and he and his priest never for an instant relaxed in these continuous devotions yet the ghastly spectre still walked abroad the dread pestilence still ravaged the hapless city quomodo sedet sola civitas plena populo cries charles borromeo from the pulpit of sant ambrogio as with streaming eyes and burning words he addresses the shuddering people and they answer as with one voice in accents of heart-rending despair dio dio nostro misericordia then charles speaks to them of the terrible effects of the divine wrath he implores them thoroughly to examine their consciences to do penance for their sins and with humble prayer and sincere promises of amendment to entreat their heavenly father to have mercy upon them the people listen and their hearts are stirred they press round the pulpit forgetful of the danger of coming near each other they gather round him 
they kiss his bare and bleeding feet when he descends from the pulpit for as he walked in the procession from the duomo to sant'ambrogio a nail had pierced his naked foot and the blood was flowing from it copiously many dipped their handkerchiefs in this red and holy stream but charles pays no heed to the physical pain and exhaustion his wound causes him with his deep eyes fixed and loving confidence on the crucifix he carries he passes on his way as we see in imagination his bowed and wasted form passing through the streets the cross held aloft the penitent people following him with prayers and lamentations we realize why it was that dread visitation of fifteen seventy six seventy seven was then and has ever since been called the plague of st charles his was a leading figure his the rolling spirit and in the words of manzoni so powerful is charity the plague that desolated the milanese in fifteen seventy six seventy seven is still called the plague of san carlo among the various and awful recollections of a general calamity she could cause the personality of one individual to predominate why because charity had inspired him with feelings and actions more memorable than even the evils themselves she could set him up in the minds of men as a symbol of all these events because in all she had urged him onward and held him up to view as guide and helper example and voluntary victim and as framed for him as it were an emblematical device out of a public calamity naming it after him as though it were a glorious conquest or a wonderful discovery end of chapter twenty one